0: On the 11th of November, 1880, John Castillo, the governor of the jail, informed his prisoner that the hour of execution had been fixed at 10 a.m. His leg irons were removed and at 9 a.m. he was led out accompanied by the chaplain. When passing the jail's garden, he commented on the beauty of the flowers. Accounts differ about the true last words of this prisoner, some suggesting that he said nothing but an inaudible mumble. The Argus newspaper stated that he said, Ah well, I suppose it has come to this, as the rope was placed around his neck. But the most widely quoted last words of this prisoner before he was hanged are such is life. This is the last day of the short but eventful life of one of Australia's last but definitely the most famous bushranger, Edward Ned Kelly.
1: It's your boy, Neddy.
0: It's your boy, Neddy. Neddy. <laughs> we, uh, and I must admit, when writing this, I have frequently written him down as our boy, Ned. Our boy, or Ned. Or old Ned. Old Neddy. Of course, he was 26. So, he was not, he was <laughs> he by was no means old. He was younger than us. He was younger than we are now uh, and significantly more famous.
1: So, uh, welcome back to Cheeky Tales. You will notice that while I am here, I being Aaron, and I realize that Now, more than a year into our podcast, I've never actually said my own name. Um, You haven't, have you? No. uh, Interesting. You will notice
0: that the other voice is not John. No, it's Sean. It's Sean. Yeah, back many months later after Sean Vember, which was a
1: a big success. Sean Vember was a big success, and I'm not salty that you've got more listens than (laughs) me. Um, But uh, John is sadly down with the sickness Ooh. And it is a sickness that doth not allow him to be near us. No, it's it's probably
0: best not noting yeah. that the yeah, it's just not worth it.
1: Yeah, it is not COVID, but we wish John a speedy recovery. Mm-hmm. And it is sad to not have him here for his first missed episode of his own podcast.
0: It is, yeah. If only it were easier to to phone him in. Yeah, I have thought sometimes that it would be nice to have equipment that I could just leave somewhere. Yes, but um you know. Well, I mean, we talked about that for a while for if I could phone in from or yeah. reel in from uh, Townsville when it was necessary, but now I don't have to. Yeah. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll look into that yeah. so that John can, well, not be here this week, but,
1: you know, hmm. maybe next time someone else can
0: use it. So, our regular listeners will, of course, know that I was obviously living in Townsville yes. uh, and Sean Vember was special because I was down for enough time that we could record two episodes, yes. uh, but now I'm here. And that two episodes definitely wasn't Two nights, one back-to-back. It definitely wasn't two <laughs> nights, one back-to-back where I yes. wrote the script in one day. But no.
1: Sean has moved to our, our town. He now is a Brisbaneite. Mm-hmm. And so, he's able to join us more frequently. It's great. Even it's- though he's been here two months and this is the first time he's come.
0: Ah, well, you had enough great tales. We did have tales.
1: But uh, yeah, it is nice to have you sub in for John this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and make your sec- third appearance, second tale. Second tale. And it's a, it's a good one. It's, it is. It's our boy, Neddy. It is. It, and it was difficult to write. I would say every Australian knows Ned Kelly.
0: Mm-hmm. Not many Australians know the Ned Kelly story. Correct. Um, and that's kind of the motivation for this. I have been to regional Victoria a lot in my mm. life, um, particularly through my young adult years and a little bit in high school. And I was honestly quite fascinated with the amount of- Sort of history history that it's in that Mm. region altogether. Like I've been through Seymour, Wangaratta, Beechworth, been to Glenrowan twice, which I will talk about. These are all places. They're all places. They're all places north of Melbourne, which for people that haven't been to Victoria, there is stuff in Victoria that isn't Melbourne or Phillip (laughs) Island. (laughs) Or Bendigo. Or Bendigo, Yeah. (laughs) Or, or Ballarat's the other big one as well. Yeah. yeah. So there's you know there's a lot of towns that are sort of um about an hour to two hours away from each other that you know started out as important homesteads and then continued to be towns. Yeah. And there's gold rush down stuff down there. Oh there? yeah. There's a lot of mm. gold gold history because of so much wa- so much waterways and yeah mountains. Yeah. Well, do you want to get stuck in? Yeah, I do. So I I'm trying to think of a pun. I don't really think. There's going to be a lot of puns yeah. for this one, except maybe some tin can yeah. jokes, but they're- Put, not-
1: on, put on your home, homemade armor and I'll shoot- No, I'll put on my homemade armor and you shoot the story at me.
0: Oh, that's not great. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> that was- just sounds like shoot your shot and I, I'm not okay with that. All right. Well, shoot your shot then. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> that was a bad anyway, one. I'm not proud of that,
1: but no, you know what? It's out there. It's and you can out all there. suck it.
0: It's, it's my podcast and I'll say what I want. <laughs> it's my podcast. I'll say what I want. Okay. So, John Red Kelly uh, was that's born funny. in- I uh, know. That's topical. It's topical. John Red Kelly was born in 1820 in Clonbrogan of Tipperary County, Ireland. Okay. At the age of 21, he was found guilty of stealing two pigs uh, and was transported on the <laughs> Prince Regent. Yeah. Just two pigs. That's it. I love I love convict era australia
1: yeah because it's just like hmm you did some small crime forever banished yep
0: off you go off
1: to the colonies off Off to
0: the the colonies (laughs) yeah so uh so he was transported um to australia on a ship called the prince regent uh to hobart yeah in the at the time named van Diemen's land i Mm. i hate the fact that they changed it can i say that i yeah that's fair
1: I mean, Van Diemen's
0: Land is so much better. It is a great name. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually looked into why they changed it to Tasmania. I feel like- Abel Tasman. It's just named after Abel Tasman. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. That's pretty much it. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Anyway, so he was uh, transported to Hobart mm. just for stealing two bigs uh, to, you know, in Van Diemen's Land, which is, of course, now on the continent of Antarctica. Yep. I'm kidding. It's at the bottom of Australia, of course. Um, he arrived on the 2nd of January, 1842. After serving his sentence, he was released in uh, January of 1948 and moved over the Bass Strait. Wow! They moved him to the other side of the country. I mean, the other side of the planet. Yeah. So for, they moved- what? Four years was it? Was it 42 to 48? 42 to 48. So, so yeah. six years. Six years. So we moved over. <laughs> it's not the Bass Strait. Don't know why I called it that. He uh, moved over to the mainland to Victoria, where he found employment that as is a the Bass Strait. It is the Bass Strait. I don't know why. For, yeah. My brain just. Broke for a second. I was going to say over the pond, but that's a New Zealand reference. Yes. Which, of course, is a deep reference to a joke, of course, that I once convinced you that Ned Kelly was from New Zealand. I, I don't recall that, but oh. that does seem like the kind of thing that you would try and convince me. That was the first successful one. Okay. I didn't have as much luck with my other jokes. No. No. High school was tough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he moved over to Victoria and he found employment as a bush carpenter on a farm in Wallen. What's okay. a bush carpenter compared to a normal carpenter? Yeah. What's the I distinction? Is it just that he's in the bush? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. So, this is a period in Victoria where a lot of it is, you know, it's it's genuine settler life. Yeah. You know, the land is unexplored. It's uncleared. Mm. It's unfarmed. It's-, it's Yeah. They're just, just going out there and doing what they need to. Yeah. It's bush. It's, mm. it's the outback that isn't- They're bush settling. Yeah. So, he found employment as a bush carpenter. Two years later- Uh, Red married his boss's 18-year-old daughter, Ellen Quinn, at St. Francis Church. Uh, They then left the farm to pursue a gold digging career and found just enough success to purchase a small amount of land in Beveridge, which is just north of Melbourne. Uh, They built a small home in 1859 and set about starting a family. And at this point, our main protagonist is born. Edward Ned Kelly, the third child of 10 it, that seems common for that era. A third child of ten. That's just to Ned's dad, too. Yeah. not including his future stepdad. Uh, in December eighteen fifty four. Okay, I say it, December know, it, it did eighteen. It only
1: just occurred to me that it, this wasn't Ned. It just. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I
0: didn't know that about no, this. Kelly. Is this is <laughs> red? Oh, really?
1: I've only lived here for a few years.
0: That's weird. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> this is Red Kelly. So Red Kelly married Ellen Quinn. Yeah, they bought a home while they. Went gold digging, bought a home, and now they're having some children. Yep. So, the third child of 10, Edward Ned Kelly. 10 is a lot of kids. I know it's a lot. Yeah. Especially in the size of the house that they had. Yeah. There's, it's still it's still there. Wow. We can provide picture for the socials. It's I would good. like that. Yeah. So, he was born in December 1854. What day? Not sure. Cool.
1: That's pretty common for that year too, yeah, where they're not, just like,
0: eh, May. It's thought to be about December. Yeah. And it could have been earlier, it could have been yeah, but they just know it was eighteen fifty four. So sometime around December. So I could share a birthday with Ned Kelly. Mm-hmm. You I'm very well that. could, yeah. Uh he was then baptized, potentially, by the same priest that will give him his last rites in the jail many Ooh. years later. Ooh, yeah. There's a lot of overlap. It seems like there's a lot of mystique here. There is, and there's a little bit of overlap because there just isn't that many people yeah. around. Um yeah. So, yeah, a little bit foreboding, but not exactly.
1: I guess, yeah, that's the thing is that like back then it was possible that you would have like, you know,
0: 50 people that you ever met. And that's crazy to think. It's crazy to think about. And it's even crazy to think that simply the size of the clergy would have been not very big. Yeah. One priest, possibly per town, maybe even just region. Yeah. Yeah. So, issues in the area that surrounding uh, members of Ned's family created a bit of a problem for the family, uh, with Ned ending up uh, on the stand to give evidence in favour of his uncle, who was convicted of stealing cattle. Nice. Uh, Red began to develop a drinking problem uh, soon after this, and the family soon moved to a town called Avenel in 1864, which is near Seymour. Uh, That's the middle, pretty much the middle of Victoria. Okay. Um, Seymour is a small, kind of rough-ish town. Uh, most famous these days for ho- having the Puckapuniel Army Base. Ah, where it that just, explains it. Yeah, and yeah. it's also on the main train line going north, which would then- It's the main train line going north, and then it turns towards Sydney once it yeah. reach, once it hits Wagga Wagga.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, is that the one that goes through Wagga? Mm-hmm,
0: it is, yeah. Mm. As a young boy, Ned received basic schooling in the area around Avenel, uh, and began becoming familiar with the bush around him. You know, he's a young guy. He's- exploring the bush, he's yeah. getting his- So, he's you know, a bush bush school kid. He's a bush school kid, yeah. And around the time of his schooling years, he risked his life to save a boy from drowning. Dope. In a place called Hughes Creek, yeah. The boy's family awarded Ned a green sash for his bravery, which is also still in existence. A green sash. A green sash, yeah. It was dramatised in the 2003 film with Heath Ledger of uh, a principal or- a local member of importance of the town awarding him with this sash or a mayor. But like, what do you do with the sash? I don't know. Do you just wear it? Like, yeah. I, and well, oh, it's the boy with the sash. He, he remember he saved that kid. Funnily enough about the sash. We'll get into that. Um, okay. But yeah, he had, <laughs> okay. he had the sash is important. <laughs> Hang on a minute. I see a sash under that armor. Is that Nick Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm not even kidding you. Right. So, the boys' family awarded Ned a green sash, and this was the very sash that was found on his person underneath his famous armour when he was finally captured by the police. It says something to me that he was wearing- <laughs> that he was still wearing it. Yeah. that he How was- many years later? Oh, you know, ten, possibly-, <laughs> possibly even
1: more. That screams to me of the kid that was, like, really good at football in high school, mm-hmm. and he's just,
0: like, still telling you about it. Or a kid that was very proud of- of his own brand. Yeah.
1: Guys, yeah. have I told you the story about how that time I tried to save a kid? Mm.
0: Yes, Ned. <laughs> now, of course, there's lots Let of me tell fo- you again. <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of photos of Ned. Well, it's not lots, but there's some photos of Ned and and recreations and paintings and things of him throughout his life. And he isn't wearing the sash. So, it might have been something that became important to him Blabber later on. in life. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, in <laughs> 18-, <laughs> in 18- <laughs> Hey, guys, I may have robbed a bank, but at least I got this sash. I got this sash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good guy. Mm-hmm. So in 1865, um, Red Kelly, I'm just going to call him Kelly's father from now on or Ned's father because otherwise yep. it will just- Yeah, it's going to get confusing. Yeah, you might as well have me re-record it going- Papa Kelly. You might as well have me re-record it and overdub it of me going Red Ned to, to make it more clear. Yeah, I like the idea of Papa Kelly. Papa Kelly. Okay, so in 1865, Papa Kelly uh, was <laughs> con- <laughs> was convicted um, in relation to the theft of a calf and was sent- sentenced- Start again, Sean. So, in 1865, Papa Kelly was convicted in relation to the theft of a calf and was sentenced to six months of hard labour. Okay. Yeah. So, in all of the information I found, they always talk about sentenced to a certain amount of time of hard labour rather mm. than simply serving it in prison. It's to do with what they're doing. Yeah. So, I guess that's like moving stuff around. And yeah. And they, stuff. they're not just going to take these- people that are imprisoned and make them do nothing and sit in a cell. You might as well make them, you know, this is settlers, you know, this is colonial Victoria. Yeah. Might as well get them working. Mm. So, or he was sentenced to six months hard labor or pay a 25 pound fine. <laughs> there is no record of payment of transfer of, of, of at all of this 25 pound fine. Cause you know, they record yeah. all this sort of stuff. And unfortunately there's also no mention of Red ever even going to the Kilmore jail in the first place. Right. So, he so might we don't know what he did. We don't know what he did. Uh, so, it's unknown how this event transpired at all. Okay. We just know that he was convicted and arrested. Uh, in December of 1866, Papa Kelly uh, was fined for being drunk and disorderly. Oh, so this guy's getting a bit off the rails. He's getting a little bit off the rails yeah. now. And after two years of a pretty serious problem with alcohol, he died in Avenel on the 27th of December, 1866. Well, that's sad. So, a lot's happened in a short yeah. space of time already. It's all kicking off. It's all kicking off, yeah. Now, I've written this incredibly bluntly because there's, there's so much detail about yeah. his life. Because historians are obviously very interested in this. So, I'm going to read you exactly what I wrote. Okay. There was a fire and some stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was a fire and some other things. There's a fire and some other things. So, essentially, a lot of stuff happened around the the home that they had in, in Avenel. And there was a, a, a fire to do with some property. And this, you know- can I just pause for a second to regain my composure? Too much pud. <laughs> You've lost where you're up to. Oh, it, I've written it too bluntly and I don't know what it means. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've written it so straightforward. I'm going to read you exactly what I wrote. Okay. Just cut it. Yeah. Okay. Begin, cut. There was a fire and some stuff when they moved near some relatives of Ned's mother that nearly ended in his uncle being sentenced to death. Basically, trouble follows him. I kind yeah, of- Yeah, that's pretty blunt. It's a little vague. So, essentially, they then moved, after he died, they moved in with um, Ned's relatives yep. or his mother's relatives. So, yep. he still had the connection to the Quinn family who were obviously farmers. That's why they were living on the farm in the first right. place when they met. Yep. So, there was an issue and a fire and a whole bunch of stuff and his uncle was nearly sentenced to death. So, this seems like a whole sort of mess that they need to get away from.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, it's a bit of a messy family situation. It's a bit of a
0: messy family situation, whether it's through Edward's- Well, Edward doesn't have family, so through his mother's family and, you know, there always seems to be issues with uncles, so maybe they need to get away from all this sort of stuff. So, the family soon moved uh, to a small farm near 11 Mile Creek. I don't know exactly where 11 Mile Creek was. Bitch, it's 11 miles away from a town. Mm -hmm. Now, this farm was leased from the government under sort of what they called- settlement under uh, some, under the land yeah. act at the time. It was
1: that thing where they could be- It was like, oh, you can own this if you settle it. Mm-hmm. So, you so, go out
0: there and do all the work and then it's yours. Yeah. So, it gave them the option to buy the land once it was cleared and cultivated. Yeah. Um, without, you know, a patriarch to the family and Ned being the third of 10 and the oldest son. It's not a very effective farming, really. Yeah. You haven't got a lot of manpower. So, they never really- got into the farming of the of the of the property Settlement. at all yeah. yeah so they ended up um supplementing their income so ellen was working sort of in kitchens and seems to whatever she could have been doing in town so they supplemented the income by offering accommodation on the farm to travelers instead
1: okay
0: uh and also selling illegal booze illegal booze illegal booze specifically okay. illegal booze yeah right. so they couldn't farm the land they just it's you know without that knowledge base it's just gonna be difficult so why not have people stay at the farm Stay at the farm and have a couple of bevvies. Have a couple of bevvies, yeah. A couple of cold ones. People always want oh, cold. Couple of couple we- of eighteen hundreds vbs. Yeah, leave a- <laughs> for a hard earned thirst. For a hard earned th- thirst. Are you settling the land? Are you near Eleven Mile Creek? <laughs> Are you terrible at farming? <laughs> 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 then stop on in. Dun, dun, dun,
1: dun, 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 dun.
0: Sponsor us, Colton United Brewing. Yeah, I'll take a VB sponsorship. Mm-hmm. I don't mind uh, VB. If I can't get 4X bitter. I
1: can't say I've ever
0: drunk one. Oh, it's, it's good in a stubby. Mm. Hmm.
1: Funny that during this whole conversation, you're wearing a Foster's shirt.
0: <sighs> <laughs> yeah, look, it was cheap at Cotton On. I really needed a shirt that yeah. was this colour. So, this is, sort of, this is sort of the end of the early phase of Ned's life. Yeah. He was born, his father had a lot of troubles, and his father died very early. Yep, so Papa Ned's gone. Papa Ned's gone. Ned saved a boy from drowning. Got given a green got, sash. Got his favourite sash. Got a green sash, yeah. And um. And now they've moved to a, a small farm that they they can use as their property. Trying yep. to run
1: running, running a Running an
0: Airbnb. Running an Airbnb with illegal booze. Yeah.
1: Putting yep. a couple mints on the pillow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, beds and booze. Turning down the linens. Mm-hmm. Making people do all the cleaning before they leave. Folding up the toilet paper into them little triangles so yep. it looks fancy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So- as he gets into his teenage years, this is where Ned's rebellious streak somewhat. This is where Ned's you know becomes who we know. Him so as. we're getting to teenage. We're Ned. getting into teenage Ned. So at the teenage age of fourteen, angst Ned. Teenage angst, Ned. At the age of fourteen in eighteen sixty nine. Nice. Yep, I wrote that. Nice. It's nice. in the script. Um, Ned met Irish-born Harry Power. Harry Power. Harry Power. Harry Power. Harry Power.
1: Harry Power.
0: Yeah. It's not easy to say. It kind of just comes out as. Harry Hawa, Power. Harry Power. Mm. So remember Ned is of Irish family. So yep. he's going to have a pretty thick Irish accent. All his family is Irish. And to now be sure. Was- to be sure. Yeah. So now he's met that. Yeah. If you watch the movie with Heath Ledger and you've had a few too many beers. Impossible. Impossible to understand. Turn on them subbies. Turn on the subtitles. So he met this Irish born Harry Power. Now this was actually an alias. His real name was Henry Johnson. And uh, he was a convict who became a bush ranger in northeastern Victoria after escaping from Pentridge Prison, which was actually in Melbourne. Okay. Uh, As with many men that evaded the law in Outback Victoria in that era, he had a network of sympathisers that supported him. So, this is before really well-established law and governance. Yeah. It was just kind of town-based. It's kind of town-based and it's community-based. So, he had sympathisers in various locations to help him stay away from the law because he, like- he wasn't cleared of anything. He just flat out escaped from prison. Yeah. And just, just fled to the bush. Peace out, boys. Yeah, that's it. I'm out of here. See you and on the, the bush flip. would have
1: been like 20 metres away from the jail, I'm sure.
0: Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. But he's gone a long way. He's gone, you know, what would normally be two hours. What is two hours by car now is True. now like hour. It's a long way.
1: So that's like 200 k's.
0: Yeah. It's a fairly long way. So, he had a network of sympathizers that supported him all through the outback. The Kelly family was one of these- group of sympath- or was part of this group of sympathizers. And yep. in May of that year, Ned became his bush-ranging protege. Ooh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. At the end of May, they attempted to steal horses from a local squatter named John Rowe. Okay. Yeah. It, that, hang on. So, a squatter- A squatter. Owns horses. A squatter is not a person living in a house illegally. Okay. Back then, a squatter is someone that lives on the land, but is not entitled to own the land. So, a nomad. Kind of. Okay. They're working the land, but they don't own the land. Right. right. Okay. okay. So, they're so not, they've set up shop. They're not given settlers rights. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got you. It's a little different. Yep. I'm with you now. Mm-hmm. So, they attempted to steal horses from this guy, John Rowe, as part of a Beaker plan to rob a gold escort. So, okay. um, you know. Yep. Transportation of gold. They abandoned the plan and fled into the bush after John Rowe shot at them. No, nice. uh, He wasn't going to take- He wasn't just going to roll over and let the horses- yeah. Get get pinched. I'm not taking this. Yeah, just kaboom, kaboom. Then 50 minutes to reload. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> muskets are my favourite weapon because I they're know. so
1: impractical. They're so
0: impractical. Um, it was at this time that Ned chose to broke off his initial association with Harry Power. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it, it just muskets. I've heard this before, but you can see the mu- like the musket shot coming at you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like they're not that they're actually not that powerful, so they don't shoot it that fast.
0: Well, they. The bullet does come out very fast. The problem is, is that they're not really shaped or rifled yeah. effectively. Because it's so a ball. It's a ball. It's not a yeah. rifled And if it hits you, it, it's like, there's a really great videos on YouTube where they shoot it at like big pounds of clay. Yeah. And the difference between how a shaped bullet from a rifled barrel versus just a, a, a shot would go through and the exit wound is just absolutely diabolical. Yeah. It just blows it apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so they come out with a fair bit of force, you know. Even old school cannons with their round yeah. cannonballs—that's why they were so deadly. Like they, I've
1: seen, I've seen one musket shot in my life, and it was
0: phenomenal to watch. I have shot a musket, but it wasn't shooting a ball. Yeah, it was set up to shoot buckshot. Okay, yeah, and that was that was a lot of fun. It's a very different sensation. Without getting like weird and nerdy about guns, yeah, um, it was really fun. It was hard because you can't see what you're shooting. As soon as the black powder fizzes, because it's quite a delayed, quite a delayed reaction, it's like (laughs) bang, yeah. Um, Not that delayed for dramatic effect, but it means that the second it puffs, you can't see what you're aiming at. So you better hope you're aiming in the right spot, (laughs) which for a clay pigeon was difficult. I did ding it. I didn't get a substantial (laughs) hit. Yeah, gave it a wing. Yeah, just gave it a ding, and that was that was pretty good. Now this next this next tale I've written directly as a quote because there's a there's a bit of funny wording in here. All right, let's so let's get into I've, it. Mm-hmm. Serious? Everyone put your listening ears on? Sean's you've, got something to say. You've got to try not to laugh, though. Oh, all right. Kelly's first brush with the law occurred in mid-October 1869. Hilarious. With, a, with an altercation between him and a Chinese pig and foul, deamer, foul dealer from Moses Creek named R. Fook. That's a very nice name. According to Fook, <laughs> as he... Yeah. Part- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit.
1: I don't- Now- I know what I want to say in this situation. Okay. Like, it's very- I think everyone listening Mm -hmm. knows what is going through my head. Yes. I don't think I need to say it. Okay. Okay. I
0: I strongly doubt that this was his real name. I have a feeling this could have been a horribly racist nickname that he picked up over the years, but I couldn't find any information that disproved it. Sure. I thought it was an excellent story. Anyway, so according to Fook, as he passed the Kelly family home- Ned brandished a long stick and declared himself a bushranger before robbing him of 10 shillings. He declared himself a bushranger? Yes. Kelly gave evidence in court that Fook had abused his sister Annie in a dispute over Fook's request for a drink of water. Fook then beat Ned with a stick after he came to his sister's defence, which is hence the motivation for this. Right. Annie and two family-related witnesses corroborated Ned's story and the charge was dismissed. Oh, so it turns out that he was in the right. Yes. Oh. Possibly. The morally right. I don't think declaring yourself a bushranger and brandishing a big stick.
1: Hello, sir. I would like to tell you that I'm a Mm bushranger. Do you you have a moment to talk about bushranging?
0: It's like the Ace Ventura pet detective thing, but it's like, Ned Kelly, bushranger, as you shake their hand. Yeah. Also, Mm -hmm. I'm going to beat you. Yeah, that too. So, a little while later, about a year later, Ned reconciled with Harry Power. Oh. Our resident bush ranger. That's range nice. In March of 1870. And over the next month, the pair committed a series of armed robberies. Okay. I know. Very cool. The local police. <laughs> well, cool, but. <laughs> Look, it's. You know what? It's in the past. Cool.
1: It's in the past. So don't, the local don't police. Don't do armed
0: robberies now? No, don't. Yeah, not with. Cheeky Tails. Cheeky Tales says, says no. No, thank. No, I, this is. I pulled this from an earlier episode. I okay. quite liked it when you said Cheeky Tales says no thank you <laughs> to gun violence. <laughs> And I stick by that. So Cheeky <laughs> Tails I, says no I thank say you that? to- arm- Yeah, I think John said it actually. Cheeky Tails says no thank you to- Cheeky Gun Tails to arm- says no thank you to arm robbery. Oh Yeah. <laughs> so the local police had a lot of trouble tracking these two down because they're just yep. a pair. Yeah. Uh, and in particular, they couldn't identify Power's young apprentice. Power's young apprentice. Yep. Uh, in late April uh, of that year, Ned was identified as the young man working with Power and a few days later was captured and confined in Beechworth Jail. He was put to trial for three charges of robbery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But in the event of the first two charges, the witnesses failed to identify Ned, so they were dismissed. Right. And for the third charge, for some insane reason, Ned was not actually shown to the witnesses. Okay. So, just um, some
1: classic 1800s police. Witness.
0: Yeah. So, the third charge was dealt with by the description provided by the arresting officers and the superintendent. There's, so, there's a lot of positions within the police force and the jail that kind of- the, the titles are a little gibberish. Yeah. Right. A lot of people called superintendent. Yeah. Constables are clearly policemen and there's some other roles. So essentially they dealt with the charge purely by the description given. And so he was sent to Melbourne where he spent the weekend in lockup before being, I said that really weird. He was sent to Melbourne where he spent the weekend in lockup before being transferred to Kyneton, Kyneton, it's a difficult word, Kyneton to face court. However, due to no evidence being provided in court, Ned was released a month later. A month later. A month later. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice to see that it was working quick then. So, as you can see, he's getting grumpy. Yeah. Grumpy boy. He's getting ticked. Mm-hmm. He's getting a little ticked. And this is where this recurring theme of police harassment comes from. Yeah, Like, yeah, he is- He is a criminal. He's a criminal and he's doing shirty Criminal things. things. But yeah. the way that they're dealing with it is abhorrent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's old timey. It is old timey, but you can see that this is where frustration- yeah um and it it played a major part in his motivations later in his life less than 10 years later um later in his life there are a few theories about why no evidence was provided in court and how he got out one possible theory is that the case of police harassment uh was in the case of police harassment which was common in the area at the time like it wasn't provided because it was just the police trying to get him for something so they just aggravate him and put him in jail um, another is that the Kelly family intimidated the witnesses, okay. Um, I could see that. Yeah. But the main factor that may have had an effect on the witnesses is that Ned was actually described as being both of indigenous and European descent, okay? So, like they were, as in they thought that Power's apprentice, right was the was was half indigenous, half European, ok. So when a pale Irish Irish kid, kid with thick black hair, yeah, appears right. Appears in court. Okay. He's not going to look the same as the descriptions. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, this I was, can see that. This is largely due to the fact that the gang went without washing. It gross. Yeah, they're okay. out in the bush. They're filthy. Yeah. You know- yeah, they're covered in dirt. Covered in dirt. Yeah. Soot. You mm-hmm. know, there's bushfires. From all those guns. All the guns and stuff. Yeah, just kind of being real dirty. Yeah. So, the description was initially provided that he was of Indigenous descent, and then when they rock up and caught up. Okay. Now, Harry Power was eventually caught at a property near the King River, and word spread that Ned had snitched on him. Oh, mm, yeah. not a good thing, yeah. even to today. Yeah, it's not correct. It actually turned out to be Ned's uncle, who, who right. was paid 500 pounds to assist the police in capturing Harry Power. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it did, you know, spread- the word spread through the area that Ned had done it, um, and he tried quite hard to clear his name. Yeah. And I think he made a statement to, to sort of clear his name. Yeah, a weirdly big deal, even yeah. like even today. Even today, people yeah. care about their reputation, yeah. So he's had his run-ins with the law now, and he's getting notoriety for effectively being a bush ranger, albeit Notorious. a kid. <laughs> so he's about 16 at this point. Okay. Oh, wow, yes, yeah, so he's still quite he's young. He's still quite young, yeah. That is a little boy. So we turn our attention forward to 1871. Our boy Ned, told you. Uh, had a run-in with the police over a matter of a mistaken horse. Now, this is a huge thing that sort of started off his individual reputation. Okay. So, Ned had an issue with a mistaken horse identity. A mistaken horse identity. Mm -hmm. Okay. What does that mean? It got him sent to prison for three years. Three years. Okay, but what does a
1: mistaken horse mean?
0: So, I have distilled this down as best I can because there was a lot of- quoting of certain people who just aren't, they're not important to the story. Okay. With stories about Ned. So I've distilled this down. So basically a brother-in-law of Ned's borrowed a horse. Okay. (laughs) Borrowed from the postmaster of the town of Mansfield, right? Um, The thief had not told Ned that the horse was stolen Okay. and he was around them and the horse went missing, but the thief then had to move on and do something else. So Ned said that he would try and find it and then hang with the horse essentially until he could return it to what he thought was the rightful owner. Right. Which was his brother-in-law. And then it turns out he's got a stolen horse. Yeah. So, eventually the horse was found and Ned took the horse to Wangaratta. Yeah. Where he stayed with it for a few days. Um, Sort of, I assume, trying to get get it back to what he thought was his rightful owner. When Ned was riding back to the town of Greta from Wangaratta, he was intercepted by a constable. Now, this officer thought that the horse might be stolen. Yeah. He had an inkling. But inkling and inclination, that it might have been yeah. stolen. So, he directed Ned to the local police station to sign some papers. Okay. Mm-hmm. As Ned dismounted the mayor at the station, the constable tried to grab him by the scruff of the neck, but he failed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just missed. Yeah. So, Kelly resisted arrest. Uh, the constable drew his revolver and tried to shoot him, but it misfired three wow. times.
1: So, he tried-
0: He tried to he- shoot him for resisting arrest. He tried to grab him, arrest.
1: missed. Ned goes, what are you doing? And then he pulls a gun on him. Mm-hmm. Wow. I know. It, it is no wonder, that even though he- Like, let's be real, Neddy K was a bit of an asshole. It, like, the police did not do anything in this era to not make themselves hated.
0: No, and they didn't do anything to help themselves, even when they had the opportunity to do something right. Yeah. They just beat down on people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, he tried to shoot him, and it misfired three times. Yeah. He was then overpowered by Ned- who later said that he straddled him and dug his spurs into his thighs. This is the constable said of Ned. Yeah. That he straddled him and dug spurs into his thighs, causing the constable to roar like a pig. <laughs> sorry, to roar like a big calf attacked by dogs. Okay. After subduing Kelly with the assistance of seven bystanders, wow. Paul pistol whipped him until his head became a mass of raw and bleeding flesh. That's a direct quote of a bystander. So, you tried to shoot him three times he defends himself and then you pistol whip him. Yeah, and basically beat him like pretty pretty senseless. Yeah. yeah. So, Kelly and his friend that were hanging that he was around, not the thief, but his friend, uh, received three years of hard labor, which he served in prisons and also on some ships. Okay. Like working ships. His good behavior, however, actually helped him get out. Okay. Or get him released early, which is good. You know, what we're seeing is a moral young man. Like, he's punished, but- He's still like, okay. He's still okay, I'll do the right thing. Yeah. To settle the school with the real thief of the horse, however, uh, Ned fought him. You're going to love this. Fought him? He fought him. Okay. In a 20 round bare knuckle boxing match in a pub in Beechworth. That is a lot of rounds. Which he won. Okay. And was declared the district boxing champion.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, was this other guy the champ? So, okay.
0: All right. They just gave him- a- <laughs> Yep. Gave him a title. It's a vacant title. Here you go. Wear the belt. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's even a photo. Oh, is there? They name- took a photo of bare-chested Ned with his fists in front of him. I love this era of photography where yeah. they're
1: like, we will only take photos of important things. Yeah. And then you, you get to a glimpse into what they
0: considered was important at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Only important things. People not smiling because they thought that smiling made them look- remember reading that article, it goes around all the time on Facebook. It's like articles and it's like got old photos of taken in between what they should have done. You know, photos of people that wouldn't normally be in the shot, photos of them smiling because they thought that it didn't make the photo look timeless.
1: Yeah. And it was also like originally, like original photos. You had to sit still for so long that you had to have a a neutral expression so that you didn't get tired. Correct. And move. Mm -hmm. So there's a great photo of, of Ned. Yeah. Like it's pretty cool. Like, and I'm picturing one of those old school cameras with like the handheld light. Yeah, basically. yeah. It puffs all the smoke. It
0: almost, it almost looks like it's a caricature. Like it's got yeah. like a border and- Nice. Yeah, it looks like it's at the circus. Old timey photos. Mm-hmm. The thief, uh, his name is Isaiah Wright, then later became a supporter of Ned. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you bested me. 20 rounds of bare knuckle boxing. He did also do three years in prison because of you. Yeah. Yeah. So, he, he became a, a strong supporter of Ned. Okay. Good on him. So some other stuff happened and Ned eventually developed a bit of a gang. Yep. Yeah. So this included his brother Dan. Now the four members of his later gang were himself, his brother Dan, Joe Byrne, and a guy named Steve Hart. Now okay. they were all pretty tight. Steve doesn't seem like an eighteen hundreds name. No, it doesn't. But it was. So Yeah. These were the four the four guys that were in his they're in his gang. Um the, Throughout this, I'll start referring to them by their last names, except for Ned and Dan. Refer to them as Ned and Dan. And then Joe Byrne would just be Byrne. And then Steve Hart will be um, Hart because it's just a little bit easier. Now, with the help of their stepfather at this point, who seemed to be a pretty shady dude as well, this gang stole 11 horses. Right. Mm -hmm. Didn't say from who. Now, this led to Ned becoming a wanted man. So, because that's that many horses, they know who's doing it. So, this actually put a price on his head. Uh, And when he was in hiding, a constable Fitzpatrick was ordered to the town of Greta to relieve the local police who had gone looking for Ned. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. He read in the paper that there was a warrant out for Dan's arrest as well. So his brother. Okay. uh, And thought, yeah, I'm going to go over and pay a visit to the Kelly farm. Maybe he's there. Maybe I'll arrest him. Yeah. Okay. So This'll this will be great. At
1: this stage, he's bounty hunting,
0: kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Which he wasn't there to do. He was there to relieve the local police force who were off looking for Ned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's gone. no,
1: nah, I am gonna. I am gonna take the glory here. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay.
0: Now there are really conflicting stories over what happened at yeah. the Kelly Farm. Like, yeah. I mean, really deeply conflicting stories because this all eventually went to trial. And yeah, and I'm assuming I'm assuming that there is a Kelly version and there is a police version. Yes, there's a Kelly version and a and a police version. Yeah. So the long and the short of it. Yeah. Uh, Fitzpatrick got shot. Okay. He left, and later, two friends that were on the farm and Ned's mother were arrested and charged with aiding an attempted murder of Fitzpatrick. Okay. There's stories about who shot him, when he got shot, how he got shot, why he got shot, but it's it's all kind of up in the air. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of conjecture. Yeah. Um, a lot of the other members that were on the farm got away, but two friends and Ned's mother were arrested, Ellen, who is like a sort of mid, not quite middle-aged woman at this stage. Yeah, but not the kind of person you expect to be getting into scraps with police. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So, they went to trial, and the fact that Ned was spotted nearby in the town of Greta that day didn't really help- Okay. This situation because it was, you know, Fitzpatrick's account is that he was there. Yeah. And he like stormed in and he shot him and then he ran away and like all this other sort of stuff. And it didn't help yeah. that Ned had been spotted in the town. Okay. Big deal. Yeah. Uh, so, eventually, they were, they were taken to trial. Now, Ned was supposed to be in New South Wales at the time, which is why it's such a big deal that he was spotted in the town. Right. The two boys, they received six years of hard labor and his mother received three years of hard labor, even though she was nursing a newborn. Wow. At the time.
1: And that, yeah, again, like yeah, a si- the system is designed to punish everyone mm-hmm.
0: for anything harshly. Now, this was really harsh even by standards of that day. Yeah. For an old, uh, essentially an elderly woman with a newborn. Alfred Wyatt, a police magistrate in Benella, later told the Royal Commission, which I'll talk about at the end, uh, that I thought the sentence upon that old woman, Mrs. Kelly, was a very severe one. Yeah, well, it was. Yeah, it's super unnecessary. Yeah. Super unnecessary. Now, this is referred to as the Fitzpatrick incident yeah. because it's so up in the air. Yeah. Um, after the Fitzpatrick incident, Ned Kelly, Dan Kelly, and Joe Byrne went into hiding, um, and they were soon joined by Steve Hart, who was yeah. a friend of Dan's, thus forming the four members of the gang. Um, they were based at Bullock Creek in the Wombat Ranges- Dope. I know. That just sounds- Well, I mean, wombats are cool enough. I love wombats. I know. And the, even the word wombat little, brings up little romantic- Little ass boys it running r- around. It brings up romantic notions of beautiful Australian creatures. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The wombat is like a very peaceful creature. Whenever you see it, they're just like, ugh, slowly walking around. By its nature, it's defensive. Which yeah. Which is cool as well. So, if you don't know how wombats look after themselves, they dig themselves little burrows and then their ass is like a big- like a big bone plate. Mm-hmm. And it's very very hard and very very thick. And so they just like stick their ass out of the out of the burrow and that's the door. Mm-hmm. And so the animals just can't get through cuz it's a scratch on yeah.
0: bony ass. And that's why it, it really damages your car if you hit a wombat. Yeah. Yeah, if you hit a wombat you're in you're in trouble. You're in trouble, yeah. So they made money in the area by uh sluicing gold and distilling whiskey. Now I couldn't find out what that actually meant sluicing. Yeah, I know. Let's uh I'm going to assume it's stealing. Cue the background jazz. Nope. It's a form of prospecting.
1: Oh, okay. So it was legal.
0: Yeah. It's just different to panning. Okay. All right. Well, cool. Roger. Carry on. Uh, Cool. So they made money by essentially panning for gold and distilling whiskey, which is pretty cool. Cool. And they were supplied with provisions and information by sympathizers um, that they had around them, you know, including Ned's cousin, Tom Lloyd. Yeah. Um, a police party was later dispatched in October of 1878 to hunt the Kellys, and after some searching, found themselves really, really close to the Kellys' camp. Uh, the downside to them being really close is Ned knew they were there. Yeah. He was tracking them. So, Ned had found the tracks and was aware of their presence, and after a confrontation with the police, a lot of back and forth shooting, and some attempts to flee on horseback, once again, conjecture about who shot first, whatever, uh, the three police officers that had confronted the gang uh, were killed. Yeah. And looted of their personal effects and items of value. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, it's getting worse. Yeah, it's getting worse. So, accounts differ about- How it happened. How it happened. Um, Yeah. It's like- I imagine with the way that the weapons were at that time and being inaccurate, it was a whole lot of dudes standing there being like, I'll shoot you. I'll shoot you. If I shoot first and I miss, then he's going to shoot me. Like, you know- Yeah. Imagine if I shoot and miss- You've then, got a long time before you You've got you a long time again. of kind of like running back and forth between trees attempting to reload. So, that's why there's a lot of back and forth and the horses and everything and they all tried- Yeah. They just shot at each- other. I imagine it's, it's kids with paintball guns at this point. Yeah, and it would have gone- It would have taken a long time mm-hmm. for it all to go down. Yeah. Like Probably, you know, half an hour. And you've got to think that they would have had to be pretty close. Like, in the final showdown that yeah. they have, they were firing at 30 yards away from each other, which is yeah. really friggin' close. Yeah. Like, bow and arrow close. Like, it's, yeah. it's close- yeah, so Ned would actually reference this incident um, in a later letter. He wrote two letters later on to try and sort of explain his actions. One of them, which we'll yeah. talk, one of them which we'll talk about, was quite famous. Um, yeah, and um, they would also talk about it after his eventual arrest. So yeah. once he was arrested, they they went back and talked about all his crimes and things to sort of go through the whole process, so that when they hung him, they're like, "We can be sure, yeah, you did it, you you done the shooties, mm-hmm. yeah." Now, news of the police murders led to widespread fear of, of the Bush Rangers. Yeah. Because well, it was like pretty- It was no longer like, oh, they're stealing some horses, whatever. It's like, nah, yeah they shot They've three police. killed three pretty, people yeah. now. Yeah. So, on the 28th of October, uh, the government announced a reward of 800 pounds for the gangs. So that's 200 per head uh, that's for their arrest. a lot of money back then. It's too. a lot of money back then. Yeah. Uh, and it was soon increased to 2,000 pounds for the gang. Sheesh. Mm-hmm. On the 31st of October, 1878, the Victorian Parliament passed the Felons Apprehension Act, and it came into effect on the 1st of November. Basically, it's just really detailing, like without getting into the nerd of it, it's really detailing how they can arrest people, the conditions at how they can deal with these Bush rangers. Like, if they see them, can they shoot them? Yeah. Rather than capturing them. Rules of engagement, really. Rules of engagement, really. You know, what happens if there's sympathizers? Like, what do we do? Yeah. Um. Yeah. And- 3 days later notices were published throughout the colony giving the bush rangers until the 12th of November to surrender themselves so they were trying to get the word out yeah you know and what we're seeing is that you know these guys are effectively just rustlers and things but everybody's trying Coming to get them, them. Yeah. everybody's trying to get trying to get them um on the 15th of November the four members of the Kelly gang were declared outlaws officially so outlaws could be killed without challenge by anyone finding them armed or who had a reasonable suspicion that they were armed. Mm. Wow. Under the Felon's Apprehension Act. What a different time. Yeah, this actually- The Felon's Apprehension Act actually lapsed on the 26th of June, just before the final siege. Oh. Of Ned Kelly. Yeah. So- Okay. But they were- At that point, this was like- At that point, they were friggin' Lex Luthor, like, trying to take over the world equal yeah. to, to the police. Yeah. Yeah. After attempting to flee to New South Wales, which didn't work because the Murray River was flooded at the time, <laughs> okay. they ended up having to turn around. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so the gang headed back into Victoria and made plans to rob the National Bank of Euroa. All right. Mm-hmm. So after scouting the town, this is pretty clever. Yeah. So after scouting the town of Euroa and generally conducting some pretty good reconnaissance, like, which is outstanding for the day, it's just four stinky dudes on horseback- <laughs> and finding out that most of the town would be attending a funeral on the 10th of December, the gang began to plan. Okay. So, on the 9th, the gang held up a substation at Faithful's Creek, which was near the town. Um, They held the employees and the passers-by hostage until after the raid so that they wouldn't alert the town's people, essentially. Yeah. Uh, One of these passers-by was actually a hawker, like a a person that sold things, that provided the gang with nicer clothes for the robbery. Yeah. Which is quite funny. I I assume that they kind of- we're coaxed into giving them the nice clothes. Yeah. But it would be nice to think that, oh, no, I'll give them these nice clothes. You're going to go rob the bank. you got to lock the part, chief. Yeah. If you're going to be doing a heist, you've got to have some heist. gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, while Dan guarded the hostages, uh, yep. Ned, Byrne, and Hart rode out to wreck the telegraph wires okay. to disconnect your roller yep. from the outside world. Perfect. These guys know what they're doing. Yeah. And this is their first major... Bank robbery. Yeah. So I feel some- like it's a lot easier back in those days too. Yeah. Because it's kind of like you can just cut two lines and that's it. It's not even two. And I don't know if you have ever seen what the old telegraph lines look like. Essentially, they were about seven feet off the ground on poles. Yeah. That's it. Not in the ground, not in the trees. Not, not protected. Hot. Just, yeah. You can, if you go to Alice Springs, you can still see the old telegraph wire poles. They're in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. They're just there. Right. And in the town sometimes as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, they went out, they cut these telegraph wires- and uh, on the way back, the three men encountered some workers and a hunting party who uh, they took back to Faithful Creek with the other hostages. Okay. Uh, just after 4 p.m., the three gang members knocked at the doors of the closed National Bank of Euroa and gained entry from the front and the back. They drew their revolvers, held up the bank, and the bank's manager's living quarters in the building because he lived in there. They emptied the safes, the cashier's drawers of gold and any money they could find worth, uh, worth a total of 2,260 pounds and a small number of documents and security. So, bonds, and yeah. maybe some deeds to land and some stuff like that. Uh, the 14 members of the bank manager's household and staff were taken back to Faithfuls Creek Homestead as hostages. Okay. So, now they've got a
1: lot of hostages.
0: Yeah. They're tying up loose ends. Yeah. But at least they're not just killing everybody. Yeah. Here's where it gets funny. Okay. Back at Faithfuls Creek, the gang performed some trick horse riding for the hostages, who now numbered 37 before leaving at 8.30 p.m., warning their captives to remain where they were for three hours. Uh, If you move, I won't do that thing where
1: I sit backwards on the horse again. Oh, no. (laughs) Everyone be good. (laughs)
0: Pretty much. So, they- If you don't be good, I won't do that thing where the horse turns in a circle when it doesn't- It's just standing still. (laughs) Yeah. So, you can see they robbed this whole town. bank. They didn't kill anyone. Yeah. And everyone's like,
1: yeah, do some horse tricks.
0: Yeah. So, they're polite. Yeah. To a point. You know They are they are thieving a bank and stealing
1: some nice clothes, but they're not being jerks about it. They're not
0: being- Yeah, they could have easily just shot- everybody. I've played Red Dead Redemption 2. You could easily just shoot- <laughs> Sean has played the Ned everybody. Kelly simulator. Ned Kelly simulator, yeah. Maybe. Maybe I need to restart my Red Dead Online character and just make him Ned <laughs> make Kelly. Make him just Ned Kelly. <laughs> just make him look like Ned Kelly. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. And the biggest thing you can see from this is how absolutely efficient- yeah, they they're just getting it this. done. That's not bad. Get her done. Not bad for four dudes from the bush. Yeah, they're taking they're 30 in okay. Yep. Not sorry. the Okay. Yeah. Sorry.
1: The bush the bush, you'll be back in town.
0: All right. So how are you going, boy? Hey, how are you going? I'm tired, man. I know. Unrelated like, to the story, just in general. In general, yeah. But you're doing. Yeah, you seem interested. I'm. In, I'm enjoying the story. It's a good story. I really enjoyed reading about this. Yeah. When I researched it, and I found myself chuckling, almost like, chortling. It's the Ned Kelly story is one you don't really hear. No. Yeah. You hear snippets of it. Yeah. And you see people with tattoos that say such as life and a picture of Ned Kelly's face or a Eureka yeah. Stockade flag, which had nothing to do with Ned absolutely Kelly. Absolutely unrelated. Nothing. Absolutely unrelated. Yeah. Ned Kelly never paid a dollar of tax in his damn life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So, after the robbery, the gang distributed pretty much all the funds to families. Okay. Sympathizers, family members. Right. Poor people. Yeah. Um, and- the same sort of thing happened when they did a, a large robbery in the future in the town of Jerildaree. I'm not going to go into that one too deep. I'm going to talk about it a little bit because I thought it's just another big robbery. And yeah. we'll be here until- We'll be here till four in the morning otherwise. Okay. So the gang clearly valued the people yeah. that helped them and they wanted to support them as much as possible. They believed that the banks were crippling the poor people with loans and deeds to land. So following the Euroa raid- 58 police officers were transferred to Northeastern Victoria, making a total of 217 police in the district uh, to essentially prevent further stuff happening with the yeah. Kelly gang. As well as that, 50 soldiers were deployed to guard the banks in the region. Okay. So, made a real impact. That now. made a real impact. And the reward for Kelly's capture specifically was increased to a thousand pounds. Just him. Wow. Just him. Okay. So that's a, a lot of money. thousand pounds. A lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 1879, the gang then performed a very complex robbery of the bank in the town of Gerildery, which involved holding up the police barracks in the town at the same time as conducting the robbery, which only increased their notoriety.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. So after the big robbery at Gerildery, because it involved so much more members of the law, they fled into yeah. the bush. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. And they weren't spotted for almost a year and a half. Okay. By police.
1: It's yeah, a pretty right. long time. That is a long time. And like, they would have had to come in and out of hiding. Mm -hmm.
0: So, that's pretty good. Mm. Now, after this, Ned started trying to communicate with people, essentially. So, he started out with a letter. There was another letter earlier that they talked about a few things. But in particular, the famous one is called the Derildery Letter. It's actually still in existence, which is pretty cool. And it starts out with, I wish to acquaint you with some of the occurrences of the present, past, and future. Right. So, this is the opening line of a 56-page letter. Um, That's too many pages, Nettie. Yeah, that was written by Joe Byrne, but dictated by Ned. So, I don't- and this happens a lot. I don't think Ned actually knew how to write. Man, can you imagine if I said to you, hey, Sean,
1: I would like you to write a letter for me. The first thing you're going to do is say no. Let's
0: say I convince you. Absolutely. And then I
1: just talk for 56 pages worth.
0: Yeah, 56 <laughs> pages. I'm just going to assume that he wrote it in huge writing. Yeah. But yeah, so Joe Byrne wrote it down. Yeah. And this happened a lot in the future as well. I don't think Ned knew how to write. Yeah. So, and this was before the robbery in Geraldry. This is where, kind of, this is kind of interesting. Okay. So he wrote it before they robbed the big town of Girildery and then gave it to the local bank accountant during the robbery and insisted that it be given to the local <laughs> gazette. Make sure this gets to the media. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, due to the political suppression at the time on news, uh, only small excerpts were printed. Yeah. Small snippets were printed in the newspaper. Yeah. Um, but later in about the 1920s, they rediscovered the entire letter and actually printed the whole letter publicly. Yeah. At the point yeah. where it didn't matter anymore. Eh, 40 years. Yeah. It, it, like people still cared about the news. A lot happened in that 40 years. Yeah. Well, yeah. Two two or three monarchs died. Yeah. Uh, Federation A- of Australia. World War One. Yeah. Um, The Boer War. A
1: lot happened. A lot happened.
0: Yeah. Nobody's really worrying about the Kelly boys. Hmm. According to historians, the letter is both nonsense and also genius. Okay. So it's been quoted as being the ramblings of a maniac, but it's also quite remarkable because it really delves into the insights of the motivations of Victoria's most famous bushranger. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty cool. His language is quoted as being hyperbolic, elusive, and full of striking metaphors. Yeah. In one passage in particular, he calls the Victorian police... A parcel of big, ugly, fat-necked, wombat-headed, big-bellied, magpie-legged, narrow-hipped, splore-footed sons of Irish bailiffs or English landlords. Nice. That is a lot of superlatives. Mm -hmm. So the letter closes after 56 pages (laughs) uh, with this small passage. Neglect this and abide by the consequences, which shall be worse than the rust in the wheat of Victoria or the druth of a dry season to the grasshoppers in New South Wales. I do not wish to give the order full force without giving timely warning, but I'm a widow's son, outlawed, and my orders must be obeyed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, he's making some demands. Yeah, he's making some demands. Basically, he's trying to clear certain things, but he says that he talks about the future as well. Yeah. what his plan's going to be. So, in response to the gerildery raid, you know, the the robbing of this huge bank, the New South Wales government and several banks collectively issued 4,000 pounds. As prize for the gang's capture. So, £4,000 for the gang. So, now it's £1,000 per person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is, has that is risen quickly. Yeah. Dead or alive. Yeah. yeah. Remembering it started at 600 Started at 600 The largest reward offered in the colony since £5,000 was placed on the heads of the outlawed Clark brothers in 1867. Uh, The Victorian government matched the offer for the Kelly gang, bringing the total number now to 8,000 pounds. So the New South Wales government and banks offered 4,000 pounds. Yeah. And then the Victorian government matched it, which now makes it 8,000 pounds. Sheesh. Biggest reward for bush ranging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is a big reward. Yeah. Now over the coming months, more and more police officers, tons uh, trackers and soldiers were brought in and sort of employed to hunt and capture the gang. They even brought in Queensland, in, what were they called? They called them Queensland Indigenous, not constables, but essentially like members of the Indigenous tribes of Queensland that were good at tracking. Yeah. And they brought them in, in law enforcement uh, to try and track them down. Now, this was a pretty smart tactic. Ned actually was very, very concerned. Yeah. Um, as he was, he didn't fear, but he admired the skills hmm. greatly of the Indigenous trackers. Um And he was known to fear their skills and knowledge of the bush a little bit. However, they were very underutilized by the commander. And he pretty much didn't utilize them all. And it was his undoing. He never really managed to catch him in a smart way. Yeah, that feels very on brand Mm. as well. Yeah. So many rumors started to swirl around about the location of the gang. Yeah. Where they are, what they're doing, what's going on. Much to do with their locations, but also some exploits as well. And you can imagine that people being desperate for rewards- they would have said anything to try and yeah. get even just a little bit of money. Because at that time you can see they're like, you know, they're they're paying even small amounts to people for just helping. Yeah. Like his uncle earlier, 500 pounds. I heard he's at Fred's house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the informants that told the superintendents a lot of information, um, he actually told them that the gang had fashioned some armor. Oh, mm.
1: here it comes.
0: Yeah. Actual foreboding. Do we have a soundbite for foreboding? No. But we can make one. We can make one. Yeah. Does that cheapen it? Mm. Not necessarily. I don't know. Anyway, I'll play with it. Play play with it. So one of these like informants told, literally told the superintendents that are hunting, and they're like, "Yo, these dudes have made bulletproof armor out of agricultural like gear." Yeah. Like this is a big deal. And you know what they did? What? Nothing. They blew it off. Thought it was a joke. Yeah. Whatever, mate. Yeah. Whatever. You're you're dreaming. Get back to that farm. Get back to that farm. This brings us into the events of. Glen Rowan, the yeah. town of Glen Rowan. All right. So during the Kelly gang's reign of terror <laughs> exploits, the Kelly, you know, during their reign, uh, yeah. police watch parties would monitor houses that belonged to the members of the gang's family, all the sympathizers as well. So they used to set up in caves nearby yeah. or property near the other properties uh, to try and monitor them. One in particular was the house of Burns' mother near Beechworth. So, Joe right. Burns, member of the gang. Yeah. The police used the house of their neighbour, a lifelong friend of Joe Burns, named Aaron Sherritt. Okay. Aaron Sherritt. That's three sets of double letters and one name. Two A's, two R's, and two T's. That's a lot of double letters. That's too many. Too many. Cut some of those out. Yeah. So, Sherritt accepted payments from the police to camp on the property and also for providing information on the gang's activities. Right. Now, he most likely fed them- False information. Yep. He's been friends with Joe Byrne his pretty much his whole life. Yeah, uh, but we're not really sure. But it's it's widely regarded that he, he probably, they probably he probably did this to try and protect his friend. Yeah. However, in March of eighteen seventy nine, uh, Burns's mother discovered that Sherritt was assisting the police. Yeah. So she's been under surveillance from the police, but she wasn't really sure why or how. And then she found out that Sherritt did it. Uh, she then told the public Ooh. that Sherritt oh, no. was assisting the police, oh, which no. was. Yeah. Ned would then send message out to Sherrett uh, over the coming month saying that his supporters wanted him dead and that it would be better if he joined the gang.
1: Okay.
0: So he gave him an out.
1: He's okay. like, man, Look, like my supporters yeah.
0: want you. Everyone wants you on a platter, dead. so how about you join me? Yeah, join the gang. Yeah. Come come hang. Come hang. Come hang. Yeah, come, come rustle hang out. some stuff. Yeah. So he gave him an out and he he didn't. So he uh. continued to help the police. Not really sure why. Maybe he was in a stickier situation than we know of. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that there was some like, hey, if you don't help us, things will get worse for you. Yeah. So Ned eventually sent word to Aaron Sherratt's mother that the gang were going to kill him. Yeah. Okay. They've decided we're going to go kill him. Yeah. So they told his mother, we're going to go kill your son, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, this was deliberately chosen both to get rid of Aaron Sherratt and also to astonish the colonies and the whole world. So to make a, make a make a point. Make a point. Yeah. Yeah. So in June, 1880, Dan and, so Dan Kelly and Joe Byrne kidnapped Sherratt's neighbor and forced him to come with them to Aaron Sherratt's house. Okay. Sherratt was inside with his family, but also four policemen that were there to conduct reconnaissance and also protect Sherratt. They're in the back room and his family's in there. At 6.30 PM on the 26th of June, Dan went to the front door and Joe Byrne uh, with the neighbor in tow went to the back door and knocked and called out for Sherratt to come outside. When he answered, Byrne shot him in the throat Ooh. and then in the chest. Jeez, dead. Yeah. They then entered the hut and they let Dan in through the front door. Right. So now the Kelly gang is inside, two of them. Yeah, and a neighbour. Yeah. Uh, Sherrod's family's there, probably pretty scared, pretty upset. And the police yeah. in the back room. So the police are like, like scrambling, yeah. trying to get their guns ready um, to try and <laughs> to try and fight back. Not really great. Yeah, totally unprepared for what was coming. So, the boys are in there now and they're trying to get the policemen to come out of the room. They're like, come on, like- Yeah. We've, we're armed. Come we've on, got guys. You. The police decided not to leave. Yeah. Um, so, they asked Sherratt's wife to go in to the room to convince oh, them to geez. come out. So, they kept Sherritt's wife. Yeah. So, they sent the wife in to try and be like, come on, you've got to come out. Like, these guys yeah. make business. And they're like, no, now we've got to- <sighs> So, they didn't really like that. <laughs> so, the gang went outside and tried to burn the house down. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's a that is a nuclear option. Yeah. So they've obviously they run out of ideas. They've just killed this dude. It's a whole yeah. thing. And they're like, you know what? Nah, fine. So they went outside, tried Let's to burn the house down. Burn the house burn down. Burn the house down. Flush them out. Yeah. yeah. Flush them out. They'd failed. What? They failed to burn the house. Oh, down. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I so you they tell me some awful thing there. So they okay. rode away. Now this whole sort of siege went for about two hours. Yeah. So a lot of tension. Yeah. The police were so scared to leave the house that they didn't leave till tomorrow morning. Oh wow. They okay. were that. They scared. thought they'd be waiting for them.
1: Yeah. So, this is yeah.
0: eight 8.30 at night. They finished the siege. Yeah. So, they start at 6.30, finish at 8.30, and they didn't leave. They were too terrified that the gang, all of two mm-hmm. of them, would be out there waiting for them. Probably smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also have to think, like,
1: how much of this is just the mystique at this point? Yeah. Like, are they actually this good? Are they good at just- what they do,
0: or are they just yeah. clever?
1: Is it just that people are, like, tell- everyone's like, oh, these Kelly boys, they're going to get you. Yeah. And then the Kelly boys rock up. You're like,
0: oh, poop and pants.
1: <laughs> oh, I'll poke my pants. Poop my pants. I'll poop them.
0: Pooped them. Yeah, it's- it's. <laughs> I think that I honestly think that it is Mystique. Yeah. So much of it has, it, has be. Be, right? it has to be. It has to be, right? It has to be. has to be Mystique. Like, like they haven't actually killed that many people that haven't attacked them as yeah. well. These guys are in their, in their early 20s. Yeah. Dan is younger than Ned. He's 22 or something like yeah. that. Yeah, like, so they're young boys. If they're young. Well, no, they're really young no, boys. But- I didn't know Dilly when I was that yeah. age- you know, like these- No, nah, I wasn't doing anything worthwhile. Yeah. Cheese is going to love that yawn, but yeah. So he complains about them. <laughs> he complains about them? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like the yawns. Oh, uh, okay. So, I'm not editing that out at all. Nah, keep it. So, <laughs> knowing that the word of the murder, or I'm going to use muck duck because I always liked that gag muck from the duck. office. It's called murder, not muck duck. Anyway, so knowing that the word of the muck duck would reach the law soon and a special train of police would inevitably be sent north- uh, they established a plan to intercept it and wreck it. Yeah. So now they've train, killed Sherrod. They train know trains. that their stuff's gonna happen. Yeah. It didn't it took a while because it took the police a whole night to get out. Yeah. So they met back up and they were like, We're gonna have to intercept this train and uh and deal with it. So they planned on using a town along the train route north to try and wreck this police yeah. business from getting it more out of hand. They selected the tra- the town of Glen Rowan, uh, to use for the siege. So it was strategically at a certain point in the track and there was a ravine with a kink in it that they were going to set up on as the yeah. thing. And then they were going to rob the bank in Benalla and then return to the bush for the foreseeable future. Yeah, okay. So they have a plan. These they, They're they clever. They're planning what they're doing. Yeah, they're, they're not, not just doing wildly it for riding around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're not just doing it out of spite. Yeah. They're planning. They're planning. So after a failed attempt to damage the track in Glen Rowan, after they found out where they wanted to do it, yeah. Ned and- Hart, so Steve Hart, would actually employ a local plate layer and laborers to finish off the job and destroying it. Um, they selected a sharp corner over a ravine for the spot that would send the train and its occupants to hell, as Ned would say. <laughs> Jeez. So they got a plan. They couldn't destroy the track themselves. So they got some plate layers and laborers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the gang now assembled in Glen Rowan. So Joe Byrne and Dan are now back from dealing with Sherret. Yeah. Ned and Hart, they're all together. They're okay. all in Glen Rowan. Yeah. They proceeded to take over the station master's house, the railway station, the Glen Rowan Inn, which is opposite the station. Yeah. All of this is about a mile out of town. Yeah. Or just about two kilometers. The gang used the Glen Rowan Inn to hold the male captives uh, so that they wouldn't foil their plan. And they'd kept the females and the children hostage in the station master's house. So they're a bit more comfortable rather yeah. than in the dirty old pub. Um, the other hotel in town was actually used to stable the horses, which were set up with explosives and carrying their armor. Mm-hmm. Hey, Ollie. See you. Look at his belly. Yeah, he's got a big belly. He's got a big belly. That's too much put. Too much put. Too much put. So they had their armor. They had their explosives to damage the track and do whatever else they needed to do. They've dealt with the town. Yeah. Well, a big chunk of the town. They're, they're ready. Yeah. They're, the plan is going to come Here into fruition. Mm-hmm. So these horses had all the stuff ready to go. Yeah. The armor was designed to protect them specifically as they fired down on the crashed train or they dealt with survivors. So it covered their face, covered their chest, partly covered their arms, but not their legs. Yeah. So they could still ski, daddle and possibly get on a horse. Although the armor was about 44 kilos. So much. Getting on a horse is hard enough as it it is. And they had limited mobility and visibility. So I don't know if they would have been able to get on the horses per se. Yeah. But the plan was to be able to ski daddle. So, by Sunday afternoon, the train had not arrived. They'd been in the town now for a while and the train hadn't arrived yet. And most of the hostages that were there in the stationmaster's house were then moved into the inn. So, they brought the women and the children to the Glen Rowan Inn. Yeah. There were now 62 hostages total, including sympathisers who the gang planted to keep control. Yep.
1: Oh, well, Guys, we should all be like- We should do what they say. Hey, it's not that bad. Like, this yeah. is going to be pretty- <laughs> You notice they haven't killed any of us?
0: Yeah, they- <laughs> Actually- Yeah, so- it's a pretty smart plan, really. Yeah. Keep some sympathizers in there.
1: That's that's really funny. I mm. like that.
0: So, as time passed, the gang filled the hostages with booze. Nice. And organized music to keep them entertained, as well as dancing and games, and kind of just having a bit of fun. So, no horse tricks it. this time. No horse tricks this time. The horses have got, they got <laughs> shit to do. I mean, horses stuff to busy. do. Horses are busy. Doing horse shit. <laughs>
1: I'm just out here being a horse. Mm.
0: One hostage later testified that Ned did not treat us badly, not at all. Yeah. However, he also apparently threatened to shoot a teenage boy over something small and scared the crap out of the teenage boy, and he was terrified for the whole experience. Yeah. I would be terrified in all of this. Yeah. I mean, they're not good guys. No. They're famous, but they're not necessarily good. So, during the late afternoon on Sunday, Ned allowed 21 hostages that he thought he could trust to leave. Okay. That Mm -hmm. seems like a- misstep. Yes. At 10 p.m., Ned and Joe Byrne captured the only policeman in Glen Rowan with the help of the local schoolmaster who sought to gain the trust of the gang in order to foil <laughs> their plans. Okay. Yeah, so the local schoolmaster is like, "I'm smart. I'm going to help them." Yeah. I'm going to get on the but good now, side. then I'm going to I'm going to then, then I'll take screw it this down. up. Yeah. Believing that the schoolmaster was their ally, they allowed him and his wife to return home and go quietly to bed and not to dream too loud. The police train that they were expecting Didn't leave Benella until 2 a.m. of Monday morning. Right. But there was a twist. Yeah. They had a pilot train. Mm -hmm. So, they had a train ready to go. They had a train in front, like a pilot vehicle on the highway. Yeah, so the idea was it would take any damage. It would take any damage, yeah. So, they kind of knew that something could possibly go wrong. It's pretty straightforward. We're sending a train up north. What can they do to the train? They're probably going to blow it up. So, let's send a pilot train. So, they sent a pilot train in the lead as they suspected that the tracks would be sabotaged somewhere along the way. The police train, the main one, carried seven regular police troopers under the command of Superintendent Hare, five Queensland Indigenous troopers under the sub-inspector O'Connor, and four journalists and several civilians. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> smart. Bring along civilians and yep. journalists. At 2.30 a.m., the pilot train reached the town of Glen Rowan and the schoolmaster stopped the train to alert the driver of the danger ahead. So, he stopped the pilot train. Yeah. Uh, Ned had decided to let the hostages return home at this point. And at the time he was delivering them a lecture about police informers when Joe Byrne came in from outside with news that the train had arrived. Yeah. The gang donned their famous armor and then prepped for a confrontation. Yeah. So here we go. Here we go. He's found out that the pilot train came into town and the schoolmaster screwed them over. Yeah. The train is here because it's only just behind it. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, cool. Oh, 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 so, the hostages then started to escape. Oh, a hostage then escaped to the train station and started alerting the police. Yeah. He got out. Uh, on hearing the news from the hostage, Superintendent Hare led a detachment of police specifically to the inn while the rest prepared horses and gear. Yeah. This was just after three in the morning. God, I'm so tired. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know it's late. I meant them. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. Sleepy. Yeah.
1: 3 a.m. That's the worst time to be awake. Yeah. And
0: they've been drinking and dancing and shit for days. Not good. So, the gang positioned themselves in the shadows on the veranda of the inn. It's a pretty old style inn. So, they positioned themselves in the shadows on the veranda uh, as they waited for the police to approach. And then as they got closer and closer, they opened fire at about 30 yards. The police then returned fire and it was approximated that 100 to 150 shots were fired in 15 minutes. That
1: is a lot of shots. Between like
0: four, possibly five policemen and four gang members. Yeah. That's a buttload. That is a lot. That's a lot. Uh, Someone then shouted out that there were hostages inside and a lull in the gunfire occurred. Yeah. Hair, Superintendent Hair, he was wounded in the wrist and Ned himself was shot in the left hand, the arm and the foot, his right foot. Yeah. Uh, Joe Byrne was shot in the leg and retreated inside the hotel. Uh, Two hostages were fatally wounded in this fire with a third that was- Possibly shot earlier. They're not really sure how mm-hmm. he died. So two hostages fatally wounded plus a third one because the bullets are just flying. Yeah. And they're ripping through the thin ass weatherboards yeah, of, the, of, of this pub. Yeah. yeah. So during the lull, a number of hostages, mostly the women and the children escaped, mm. uh, which is good. Ned, who is now bleeding pretty heavily from his severe wounds, um, retreated behind the hotel and then made his way into the bush. Yeah. And he waited. They found his skull cap and his rifle about a hundred yards from the hotel, early in the next morning, once the sun had come up, he would later say that he was in the bushes, very close to the police, the whole time, waiting for the right moment. moment. Yeah, the police then proceeded to surround the hotel while the firing sort of continued sporadically. So thirty yards is really damn close, but they've got like inaccurate pistols. The police yeah. are dealing with guys standing there wearing big ass armor. Yeah. There's not a lot of judo going on. It's not not a lot of training in the police to just rush in and actually take him down. This is old timey. Yeah. So very Wild West. Throughout the hours of the morning, this sort of went on and on and on. They surrounded it. They surrounded the pub. They fired at them. The guys fired from inside. They're still trying to assess what's going on with hostages and stuff like that. Now at about 5 a.m., Joe Byrne was fatally shot.
1: Yeah. So So he's down.
0: He's down. Joe Byrne- was fatally shot in the groin whilst making a toast to the gang. So he was at the bar inside the hotel and he was making a toast to the gang. Yeah. Probably a farewell toast and he got shot through the wall or through a window in the groin yeah. and he bled out and died. So between 5.30 and 7am, more police then arrived. Yeah. Bolstering this force. And this is getting big. From Wangarata and Benalla surging the police force up to now, like up to 40, like oh, close jeez. to 40 people. There's 10 for everyone. Yes, 10 for everyone. Yeah. Well, more now because one of them's dead, bleeding really bad from his wounds. Uh, Ned lay in the bushes for most of the dark hours.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, at dawn, Ned, dressed in his armor and armed with three handguns, came out of the mist and fired at the police from the rear as they surrounded the hotel. Yeah. They didn't know Ned was in the bushes. They thought he was still, in still inside. In there, yeah. So he just came out. Now there's this great quote. The sorry, this great quote from journalist Tom Carrington, and he wrote, "With the steam rising from the ground, it looked." For all the world, like the ghost of Hamlet's father with no head, only a very long neck. Wow. This is the helmet. Uh, it was the most extraordinary sight I've ever seen or read of in my life. And I felt fairly spellbound with wonder and I could not stir or speak. Yeah. But he used to write so much better back I then. I know. It was so much more. Impressive. Yeah. So the police returned fire on Kelly, naturally. Yeah. Uh, and he, as he staggered towards the hotel to try and fight back. He's yeah. feeling pretty invincible. Big, thick bullets. Big, yeah. thick armor. The weight of his armor uh, and already bleeding from his wounds and the impact of the bullets on the steel made it really, really difficult for him to fire and reload and move all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, he later described the impact of the bullets on his armor like blows from a man's fist. Yeah, well, it would be. Yeah, it would hurt. Yeah. Like, it would it would knock you around. The gunfight lasted under half an hour against Kelly, which is still astonishing. Like, they're yeah. pretty close. Like, you'd think it would last longer, but- yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the remaining members of the gang providing intimate and covering fire from inside the pub. Ned was eventually brought down uh, as they sort of chased him away uh, next to a big downed tree, later called the Kelly tree. Yeah. Um, after two shotgun blasts to his legs. So Jeez. the information online was different to what I know from actually going to the town of Rowan. I've actually been there and mm. seen the tree. It is sadly not there anymore. Mm. I'll get into this at the end, but- He was shot in the legs with a shotgun and eventually staggered away and collapsed leaning against this tree. Yeah. And they went and found him. Uh, He was lying there just defeated. Mm. He was then carried to the station where the doctor tended to his wounds. He was found to have more than 28 wounds. Wow. On his body with serious gunshot wounds to the left elbow, the right foot, his wrist, and more less serious wounds. Throughout his whole body, including cuts and abrasions from the armor, and it all just adding up. This man is battered. Yeah, yeah. At ten a.m., a ceasefire was called, and the remaining hostages left the hotel. Two were arrested for being known sympathizers. At this point, so now okay. the only people yeah. left inside are the Kelly boys, the Kelly well, boys, the Kelly gang. Joe Byrne, Dan, and
1: Dan well, and well, Steve Burn's Hart. Dead. Yeah, the Steve Hart and Dan. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. By Monday afternoon, a crowd of around six hundred people had gathered at Glen Rowan, uh, and Dan and Hart had sort of ceased shooting from inside. At 2.50 p.m., the police set fire to the Glen Rowan Inn to burn the remaining men out from inside. A Catholic priest then entered the building to try and rescue anyone that was left inside. All he discovered was the body of Joe Byrne, Hart, and Dan Kelly. Mm-hmm. No one was prepared to come out. Um, the exact circumstances of the deaths of Dan and Hart aren't actually known. We know about Joe Byrne's death, but yeah. what actually killed Dan and Steve Hart, not sure. Did they right. shoot themselves? Were they yeah. wounded? Did they die from Smoke. the fire? Yeah. Um. And the priest managed to get Joe Burns' body out. Right. After the fire had died out at about 4 p.m., the police then moved in and recovered the, the rest of the bodies from inside the hotel. Yeah. The following day, the police tied Joe Burns' body to the door of the banella lockup uh, to be photographed. Okay. Essentially to idea. identify it. Yeah. His friends, <sighs> his friends asked for the body, but the police instead arranged for a hasty inquiry and a burial in a pauper's grave in right. the Vanilla Cemetery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The charred remains of Dan and Steve Hart were taken to Greta and buried by their families in unmarked graves in the local cemetery. Mm. Yeah. I guess you don't want it to become a shrine, do you? No. Mm. And you want, it needs to be with respect. Yeah. This is, this you know, this is the last stand. Yeah. You know, so they they want to show some respect to the family. And, yeah. And bury them. So, now we get into- The ending of Ned. Okay. Ned survived to stand trial. So he survived. We know this much. So he stood trial on the 19th of October, 1880. Sir Redmond Barry, the same judge that had sentenced his mother for three years of hard labor, uh, was essentially the judge. Yeah. After many days of trials and recesses, uh, mostly due to which murders he could be charged for, uh, which ones he couldn't be due to inconsistent evidence and witnesses and everything. He was eventually sentenced to death by hanging. Yeah. As Barry handed down the conviction, he finished with the customary line of, may God have mercy on your soul. Yeah. Ned then replied. What did he say? He said, I will go a little further than that. And I say, I will see you there where I go. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Barry died of natural causes 12 days after Ned wow. Kelly's execution. Wow.
1: Okay. Yep. Guess He did see him there. Curse. The, the, Kelly curse. The, Kelly curse.
0: the Kelly curse. The Kelly curse. Hashtag Kelly curse. <laughs> Start a <laughs> conspiracy anything for that something, something that happened 142 years ago. Bring it back. And set. And curse In the weeks leading up to his execution, thousands turned out to the streets of Melbourne in rallies and protests and all sorts of things. Eventually, at one point, they got a petition with 32,000. Wow. That's a lot of a lot of signatures. Then. Yeah. Um, and it was handed with the hopes of clemency. Uh, which nothing. No, they no, like, no, not too bad. Yeah, they no, this, guy, on.
1: this guy's going.
0: Yeah, the day before he was hanged, the famous photo of him was taken, which is the one you see of his beard. Yeah, uh, and is is you know he's you know, sort of just looking listfully away from the camera. Yeah, it's funny because he looks content actually in the yeah, photo. He looks fine, he looks fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was taken of him as a keepsake for his family. Right, and he was granted time to farewell his relatives and his friends, and then as we know, he was hung at ten a.m. on the eleventh of November, eighteen eighty. Yep, and that was that. That was that, well, so in March 1881, so the next year, a Royal Commission into the Conduct of the Victorian Police Force during the Kelly Gang's run uh, was brought in. And although nothing could exonerate Ned or his gang from the crimes that they committed, it did turn out to have multiple recommendations for future conduct and numerous officers senior staff were stood down. Yeah, good. So Ned's effective last wish to have... Something be dealt with about the brutality of the police at the time, yeah, came true,
1: yeah. And I mean, it's sad that like you could argue that this all happened because of the way that they acted, Mm -hmm. um, or you could just say, like, he was a bushranger, it was going to happen anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of sad that something like that has to happen for change to occur, absolutely. And like, you still see that today, Mm -hmm. like, things don't change until something goes wrong, doesn't matter how much you point it out, Mm -hmm.
0: in line with practices of the time, Uh, there's no records kept of regarding of the disposal of an executed person's remains. They just kind of chuck them in the ground. So, apparently, he was buried in the old men's yard just outside the walls of the old Melbourne jail. Yeah,
1: that would make sense.
0: A few things happened like over the next, you know, 10 plus years. Uh, I'll skimp over them briefly. Yeah. Basically, a newspaper reported that Kelly's body was dissected by medical students who removed his head and his organs to study. Yeah, dissection outside of coronial inquiry was actually illegal at Mm. the time. So, public outcry at the rumour raised real fears of public disorder, leading to the commissioner of the police force to write a letter to the jail's governor who denied that the dissection had taken place. Yeah. Um, However, saw cuts that are located on a piece of his occipital bone recovered in 2011 confirmed that they had dissected him. Oh, so that was true. Yeah, it was true. That kind
1: of stuff was probably going on. All the all time. Because the they would do that with the executed people a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, actually.
0: They took a death mask of him. Yeah. Where they took a mold of his face. Um, it's quite haunting. Mm. Uh, and it's still kicking around. Um, at one point, there was a grave robbery issue. Okay. And there was some, some stuff to do with maybe it was his okay. grave. So, in 1929, the Melbourne Jail was closed for a routine demolition. And the bodies in the graveyard were uncovered.
1: Closed for just a routine demolition. Routine demolition, demolition yeah. yeah.
0: So, the bodies in the graveyard were uncovered during the demolition works. During the recovery of the body, spectators and workers stole skeletal parts, skulls, and things yeah. from a number of graves. Uh, one marked with the initials EK. Edward Kelly. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to go into it, but too deep. But essentially, it went on like that for until like nineteen, the 1970s yeah. of the- like. Did they steal something? What did they steal? They thought it was Ned's body. Then they found out later it wasn't Ned's body. It was some yeah. other dude that had similar initials. Eventually, some dude took the skull thinking it was Ned's. Then later, they returned it. Yeah. Like decades later, the family yeah. returned it. But eventually, they found a bunch of information and they, 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 it all came back in the end. Yeah. So, in 1972, the skull was put on display at the old Melbourne jail until it was stolen in 1978. Right. Yeah. An, inc- an investigation in 2010 proved that the displayed skull was, in fact, the one recovered originally in 1929 from the, the the prison. Yeah. They've since then gone over a whole heap of forensic stuff to try and work out if any of this to do with the stealing of the skull, the skeletons, was actually NEDS. Yeah, right. And they found that a different one was and what they actually thought was NEDS was not. Okay. So- after all of this skeletal stuff and all of this crazy stuff, they'd matched certain DNA strands through the genetic line of his mother Yeah, to find out who was what. And eventually, the Victorian government issued a license for Kelly's bones to be returned to the Kelly family. Okay, that's In cool. 2012. That's a long, long time afterwards. Yep. And they made yep. plans for his final burial. The family also appealed for the person who possessed Kelly's skull to return it because at this point, it was still kind of missing. Yeah. On the 20th of January, 2013, uh, Kelly's relatives granted his final wish and buried his remains in a consecrated grave, or in a consecrated ground in Greta, at the cemetery near his mother's unmarked grave. A piece of Kelly's skull was also buried with the remains and was surrounded by concrete to prevent further issues and looting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. There you go. Yeah. So, that's the story of Ned Kelly. That is Neddy K. Mm-hmm. Mm. Old, our boy Ned. Old, old boy Ned.
1: Yeah, it's, I- I feel strange about the story of Ned Kelly because it's very it's like either way you could go either way with it you know mm-hmm. like what he was a hero he stood up for people's rights also very much not a hero mm-hmm. bit of a dick bit of a dick know? um and you can't you can't separate those two you know they 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 are together you know and so it's an odd story and i find it very strange that that is one of the things that Australia has deto- like Australian culture has decided to define itself on they've clung to it
0: yeah so I asked my dad about this once well've we've, we've talked about it because mm. he was with me and Glenn Rowan the first time he said that the actual town of Glen Rowan up until the 90s hated it yeah hated the story yeah and didn't want anything to do with it like you'd mentioned the pub and everyone would tell you to shut up and leave mm. and then eventually they just kind of accepted that it was a massive integral part of Kelly tourism. Yeah. Probably,
1: I'm going to assume that maybe some industry closed nearby and all of a sudden it was like, oh crap,
0: we need this story. Yep. Yeah. And a bit more of the internet. Yeah. But there's been some like really cool things that it sort of generated as part of Australian culture. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you see a dude with a big beard, people still call it a Ned Kelly beard. Yeah. And then of course you've got Ned's whiskey. It mm-hmm. was this really <laughs> famous- I thought I'd get more of a reaction about that to <laughs> I don't want to talk about the Ned's whiskey. Uh, There's this really um, famous set of paintings. Yeah. Actually, um, who was it by? Quick check. Sidney Nolan. Okay. He yeah. did a series of paintings that is considered the greatest sequence of Australian painting of the 20th century. Yeah. Um, and it was like, it, I've seen some of them in the yeah. National Portrait Gallery in Canberra. They're quite striking. The stylized depiction of Kelly's helmet Become has become quite iconic, and hundreds of performers dressed in the Nolan esque Kelly's in the opening ceremony of the 2000 Olympics. Really, yeah, I, don't, I mean, it's hard to remember, it was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, I, I don't remember much of that, but mm-hmm. like, that's kind of strange. Like, hey, welcome to the Olympics. They've made he's a criminal, <laughs> they've made multiple movies about him. Yeah, Mick Jagger even played him. Yeah, there you go. Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones played Ned Kelly in a movie in 1970. There you go. Mm hmm. It's just insane. It yeah. just became such a massive part of Australian culture.
1: Well, great story, Sean. Good tale.
0: It is. Mm. I'm sorry it's so late at night. That's it, not a problem. <laughs> but to the listeners, it's a Wednesday morning. <laughs> to the listeners, they've got no idea. They've got no idea. And we release on Tuesdays, but thank you for remembering that. Yeah, but they're going to listen to-
1: Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> Cut it. <laughs> Not a chance. Cut it. If Adam can call us the Cheeky Boys podcast- Oh, he did too. I and remember then, that. And then refer to
0: it as viewers. even oh, though like an Audio podcast. Well, do we need a slang term for Cheeky Tales listeners? Nah. Are the listeners Cheeky Boys? No.
1: Cheeky Boys- I, I feel like that's a, a very specific term to the
0: four of us that have done Tales. <laughs> so, we are the Cheeky Boys. Yeah. And they are our- Chiquitos. Our Chiquitos. <laughs> I'll have some Chiquitos. I'll have some Chiquitos.
1: No, I I, do like the idea of getting a, a name for people who listen. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll continue thinking about that. Well, thank you very much, Sean, for filling in for the ill, John. You are welcome. Again, I hope that you get well soon, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I cannot wait for you to come back for your tale that you are so excited to tell me for next fortnight. <laughs> um. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so thank you for filling in. You're um, welcome. Glad to have you back. Thanks for having me. That is all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, listeners, if you would like to see some images relating to Nettie K, uh, please jump on the social medias at Cheeky Tales Pod. You will find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, we put up some supplemental images there that will help you get a better idea of what we're talking about. Uh, and it's also great for you to be able to add a comment and just have a chat about what you've heard and, and um, maybe get involved. Have a, have a go at um, at telling us what you think about Ned Kelly. Um, hashtag good guy. Hashtag not good guy. Get those, go- <laughs> Get those two <laughs> amazing hashtags going.
0: <laughs> hashtag such is life.
1: Hashtag such is. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, we hope to see you next fortnight. And uh, maybe you'll be here, Sean. Maybe we'll need you to fill in
0: again. I think all the Cheeksters would like to have me nearby. The
1: Cheeksters. Yeah. Anyway, uh, get well soon, John. Mm -hmm. We will speak to you all next fortnight. Good night. I knew you
0: were going to say good (laughs) night. I knew you were going to say good (laughs) night.